Jay told me to wait until I got closer to make sure that the mic was on. So I guess he's got it good. So now I always have to check. I've, I'm older. So now I have these fancy bifocals. So I have a choice. Do I see you and not be able to read this? Or do I kind of blurry you out and be able to actually read this? So I'm not that I don't want to see your face, but I'm going with the be able to see my, what I've actually got down here. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So one of our winter chores growing up, now I'm talking middle school, high school age, uh, growing up on the farm is kind of a special memory for me. I've talked about it, written about it. In the deep cold of January and February, that was our lambing season. That's when our lambs were born um, for our little flock. Uh, we had uh, just enough to do 4-H and FFA shows. That's what they were for. So during those frigid few weeks, we made a lot of trips to the barn and just to keep a closer watch on what was going on. Normal, a normal time, maybe twice a day. During lambing season, we were out there four or five times a day. Um, but this also included doing early morning checks. So my brother and sister and I, we would take turns somewhere around three or four in the morning. One of us would crawl out of a warm bed, bundle up, and walk to our barn. Now that journey took us down a sidewalk, past an old well, uh, by the garden, which was covered in snow or just kind of just laying there, uh, through a gate, or maybe if the gate was frozen, we had to jump a fence, um, and then across the barnyard to the barn door. Now it was one of those Dutch doors, so there was a top and a bottom, so it opened both parts up, walk into just a little vestibule area that was separated from the sheep, um, just to get in. And a few of the sheep would walk over. They were all penned up nice and neat in a, with straw covered and everything was cool and nice for them. There was just one bulb that lit the whole thing. So it was kind of glowy, but yet had some really dark, deep shadows. Now that combination of sheep and straw and hay kind of smelled musky sweet. It's a, it's a pleasant one, which is much better than the stench of hogs in the middle of summer. If living in Illinois, you know what that smells like. So we'd get to the barn, we'd hop the short fence and walk around, kind of petting them. Uh, but what we were really doing is checking up on them. We were counting the lambs. Are there any new ones? Uh, we were looking for any of them that were in distress, either the yos, the, the female sheep, or the lambs. The greatest joy, kind of like almost winning the lottery, was showing up when a birth was in progress or just completed that was like, I mean, you just had to hang around and watch and just see all of it. And it was one of those joyful experiences. Now, those sights and sounds and smells and experiences are really burned into my memory. And it's a story I love to tell. I talk about my sheep, even though I haven't raised sheep in 50 years. But still, it's something that's close. You know, but the reason in telling you is so that you can share my joy in some way. The joy of watching a newborn lamb take their first few faltering steps. It's amazing. A lamb will do it within 15 minutes and it takes baby kids about, you know, a year or two. Um, the joy of watching a new mom you take care of her lambs. The little sounds they make as they do that. The prancing and dancing, smiling joy of the older lambs. If you've ever seen young lambs just celebrate sunshine, they they have this way of bouncing on all four feet at once, just kind of like that. 
I can't do it. I'm glad that, you know, you enjoyed that. The closest, if you want another, the closest other thing to it is elementary school kids on a playground. That is a sound I love. It's just bare, that's a, I love I love going to elementary school when the kids are in the gym playing or something. It's just joy all over the place. So that same desire to share joy is also found in the story of Christ's birth. And we're going to lead, read out of Luke uh, chapter 2, 8 to 20. And it goes like this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask today that you would come into this place. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts up to hear your word maybe in a way that we haven't heard it before. or Maybe something that you want to point out to each one of us. Father, I just pray that you would restore our joy this morning as we hear these things. Give us a new vision for what all of that means. And Lord, I just pray that you would be blessed, honored, and glorified in everything that comes. In the name of Jesus. So that angelic message to the shepherds is just loaded with joy, right? That was actually the whole message of the angels. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. News that brings joy. That's kind of a novel concept if anybody watches 24-hour news cycle TV. I can't remember the last time it brought joy. Fear, a lot of other things, yeah. Anyway, now we could fill up our time this morning just examining that phrase. That is how bloated that thing is. But this morning, we're going to look at the inbreaking of joy through the actions of the shepherds. What did they do and how did they experience things? So let me just kind of set the stage a little bit at this point. The shepherds were out doing their thing. They were working, I guess. That's what they do. The sheep had been calmed for the night's rest. They were gathered together and, and just kind of laying down and taking it easy. The shepherds' main concern at this point were any kind of nocturnal predators that may show up or anything else that would cause the sheep to suddenly 
bolt run stampede. Sheep being a flight animal, it doesn't take much to get them to run. Now Luke tells us that an angel appeared suddenly. And in an adrenaline-fueled moment, the shepherds went from calm to frightened to awestruck. And as the song of the angels faded into the night, I can just imagine their look on their faces, that kind of wide-eyed, gaping mouth, I can't believe it kind of look. I practiced that in the mirror today. Um, Just so you get an idea what it looked like. But their joy was so overwhelming at that point that you're just kind of frozen in a whisper of time. Let's go to Bethlehem, one of them cries out. That is totally out of character of a shepherd. Loud noises and flocks of sheep don't often end well. And wanting to leave their flock unguarded and go to town, that's not done. That's abnormal. Now, Jesus gave us a bit of insight in John 10 about the character of a shepherd. In John 10, 11 to 13, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So this desire to go to Bethlehem kind of sort of, or really, breaks the shepherd's code. They're going to leave the flock by themselves. Joy does that. Okay, It bursts out in really unexpected ways which often shatter the status quo. Joy dances and shouts and high-fives and grins and backslaps in often decorum-breaking ways. Now, one of, the favorite, one of our favorite national parks to go to is Acadia up in Maine. And up in Acadia, one of the features there is called Thunderhole. It's basically a, it's a rocky, granity shoreline piece. And when... Uh, well, this past June, it wasn't very thunderish. Conditions weren't right. We just kind of got a woof every now and again. But we've also been there earlier, and I've also seen some video where if time and tide and wind and waves are just right, that thing explodes with thunder and shoots spray and water 20 to 30 feet up in the air. And that's how awesomely that just joy that explodes And that's kind of what the shepherds were feeling, that explosion of joy right at that moment. I just can't imagine it. Angels suddenly showing up. That's going to be something. You know, something's going to happen. Now, Luke next reports that the shepherds said to one another, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And perhaps we should call this a joy of expectancy. They couldn't wait to see the fulfillment of the angel's birth announcement. Now, we often connect joy with success and completion. All right, That's our kind of our automatic default. Joy overflows when our team wins. We're still celebrating the Cubs' victory back in you know, a few years. We, got it, we, got it, we have to celebrate this for about the next 100 years till they do it again. Or joy explodes when we meet a long strived after goal or when that day finally arrives, whatever that day is. But there's also a kind of joy in the expectation of that completion. It doesn't look or feel the same as other kinds of joy, since it's all wrapped up in things like 
endurance and persistence. It's an expectant joy. Now, the writer of Hebrews points this out about Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2. Because of the joy waiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Now, there was an expectant joy in there. But I think the best example that we can really relate to is the joy of pregnancy. There's there's the same kind of already here, not yet fully here kind of quality during the weeks. There's a large dose of enduring the many pains and problems that a pregnancy has. And these are things that I'm totally unequipped to speak about. So I hope I'm doing okay. (laughs) It's an expectant joy. The let's see this thing that God has told us about. We can't wait, but yet we want to enter in. We and just it's less exuberant that kind of joy. It's got more steely-eyed focus to it, and uh, for a greater joy that's yet to come. And that endurance itself is a celebration or a demonstration of joy. We don't think about it that way. Joy that doesn't look like joy, but yet it is joy. The next example of joy from the shepherds was that they told about it. The shepherds hurried to town. They found the stable where Jesus was born. They certainly told Mary and Joseph, Scripture tells us that, about the birth announcement, what the angels had to say. Because Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And just before that verse, we read about how the shepherds, after they had seen Christ in the manger, ran around town telling everybody who would listen about what they were. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. I get the sense that they told anybody and everybody that would possibly listen and probably woke a few people up in the process. Now, the Bible doesn't really specifically say who they told. But imagine a scene of a bunch of smelly shepherds running around Bethlehem, a town, looking for a stable with the baby. They probably told the innkeeper, perhaps the other guests at the hostel, their joy just had to be shared with others. But now we got a problem. How do we tell the difference between gloating and sharing joy? Because to be honest, they look a lot alike. All right? So I think that the difference is an ingredient that we'll call invitation. Gloating separates us from others. My team is better than your team. At least the Cubs were better than everybody else that one year. My success is better than your efforts. However, sharing joy has a quality of invitation. Now, the shepherds weren't running around saying, hey, we're hot stuff. God talked to us. He told us about what's happening. Aren't we so cool? We must be all right. Instead, they were going, hey, God told us this. Come see. Come look. Understand what God is up to. There was an invitation inherent to what the shepherds were telling others. Come and see. Come and experience for yourself. All who heard about their story were astonished. Joy has this desire to share joy, to have others invited in and gather in and experience that same joy or a flavor of it as well. Kind of like a fountain that spills over, kind of splashes on everybody. There's just something about that joy. Now, Isaiah wrote this about this kind of joy that wants to be shared. In Isaiah 12, 3 and following, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day you will sing, Thank the Lord, praise his name. 
Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. That joy that we share is kind of like a overflowing fountain that just never runs dry. You know, we can continue to pour that sharing out of what God has done, what God is doing. Right, God is right now. And this brings us to our fourth example of joy that is in that story of the shepherds. Because Luke concludes with this, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, heard and seen. Their joy overflowed with praise and worship to God. Now, there's a portion of Nehemiah, uh, which provides a kind of guide on. If you don't know what a guide on is, I think Calvary, there's a flag at the beginning of the column. That's the flag that all everybody else following. They're following that flag as a guide on. So this portion of Nehemiah kind of acts like a guide on for this kind of joy. How are we getting there? Now, after some of the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, they rediscovered the scrolls of God's law, the book of Moses, the books of Moses. Ezra and Nehemiah read the law to the people. And all who heard the words were grieved over their sin and failure to keep God's commandments. Nehemiah uh, writes it this way, or it's recorded this way in Nehemiah 8, uh, verses 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods, sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Sound a bit like Christmas maybe in there? This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God rejoiced over them. God invited them into his joy. And in this case, it was a celebration. Even though they knew that they had failed to fulfill what God had told them. But instead of a day of mourning, Nehemiah called for a joyous celebration. Worship. Even if they didn't have much to be thankful about. They had come back from exile. Their lives were starting all over again. They basically didn't have much of anything. And they... God was inviting them into worship and joy. That's perhaps our greatest joy, to be able just to worship God. You know, our accomplishments, our things that we encounter throughout our lives that bring us joy, those things are kind of fleeting. They're memories, and we can bubble them up, and that joy is still there. But God working in us and us entering into his joy, that's an eternal source of joy. It just never goes away, and worship is the gateway that gets us there. Worship changes our focus from what our joys and failures, our limitedness, to the everlasting love of God, into his joy. His joy is our strength. Because God rejoices over us. Now, the shepherds guarding their flocks on the Judean hills that night were ordinary folks. We call them blue-collar. 
In some places, they're called dirt collar because they're like farmers. Essential workers who quietly went about their lives, little fanfare or notice. They weren't kings. They weren't rulers. They weren't religious leaders. They weren't influencers of the world. If they lived a day, their Instagram would maybe have one follower. If they, or same way with Twitter and the other social media, they weren't movers and shakers. They weren't super spiritual. They weren't perfect. Nor were they driven to change the world. But God often, a lot, more often than not actually, chooses the ordinary to see, hear, and do the extraordinary. They were ordinary shepherds. But through God's inbreaking, the ordinary is made spiritual, perfect, and just. Now, this is something we see throughout Scripture, this kind of ordinary, extraordinary thing. God, the ordinary used by God for the extraordinary. Plain old water. Nothing super different about it, right? Plain old water miraculously turned into wine. Clay made of spit and dirt that became Isab to heal a blind man. A few loaves of ordinary barley bread. Not the really good Hawaiian rolls, by the way. Just the just the bar, plain old barley bread. And a couple pieces of dried fish that fed over 5,000 folks. A touch here. A word there used to bring healing and restoration. Ordinary things used for an extraordinary purpose. Now, Eugene Peterson, whom you're familiar with, wrote, translated the message. In his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, he wrote this. This dazzling creation, this astonishing salvation, this cascade of blessing is all being worked out in and under the conditions of our humanity, at picnics and around dinner tables, in conversations and while walking along roads, in puzzled questions and homely stories with blind beggars and superating lepers, at weddings and funerals, Everything that Jesus does, present tense, takes place within the limits and the conditions of our humanity. Those ordinary shepherds experienced an inbreaking of joy. It was much more than just the appearance of an army of angels. It was the promise and fulfillment of God's good news. The promise of peace and salvation. The fulfillment of of a baby born in a stable. How will God's joy break into your world? How will God's joy break into our world? Some of it's already here. The joy we have in Christ, the commonality that we share there, the love we share with each other and with others in our lives. But some of it is yet unseen. How will your ordinariness be used by God for something extraordinary? And to apply this directly to Vineyard Church Peoria, how will our ordinariness be used by God for something extraordinary? Now, later in life, I had a chance to visit that old barn where we had our sheep. It was closer to the house than I remember it. It was a bit smaller, too, by the way. The sheep were long gone, along with the straw and the hay, but the memories were still there. Now, I don't want to leave you with some sort of overly romanticized version of that old barn. 
the sheep and the newborn lambs. I mean, all that stuff is true, but there's there's another piece to this. Because while some of those early morning trips brought joy, lots of joy, some of those early morning trips brought great sorrow. You see, some of the lambs didn't survive. Sometimes we could see it happening. Their ears would droop. You could just tell it, and there was nothing we could do about it. And for a young kid, it is heartbreaking to experience that, but it's also valuable. That memory and those experiences, you see, are filled with both joy and sorrow. And that's something kind of important that we need to recognize. You know, this Christmas season is kind of like that. For some, it is a time of great joy. For others, it's a time of deep sorrow. Sometimes it seems like the joy of others makes our sorrows even more acute. For, but to be honest, in reality, for most of it, it's a mix of joys and sorrows. We carry both. It is for me. There is disappointments. And there are joys. They both exist together. But that mix of joy and sorrow is kind of ordinary. And we may try to put a happy face and pretend joy. I like what Matthew said the first week of this series, uh, fake it until you make it. I've never been really good at that. But <laughs> but instead, if I got it, if I to encourage something, instead of trying to fake our joys or our sorrows away, we need to acknowledge them while also finding our joy in God. Have both. Carry both to some degree. But yet we're not done with this yet, so hang time. It is in that reality, that ordinariness. To see everybody we encounter is in that same boat, whether we recognize it or not. It's in that ordinariness that God's joy breaks through us, through to us and in us. We praise God in our joys. But what do we do with our sorrows? Jesus invites us to bring them to him. He, Jesus said this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. Now there's going to be several opportunities this morning to give our sorrows to God. One of those is going to be during worship. Sometimes just not singing and lifting up whatever is on our heart to God during the songs is very healing. There's going to be a time after for prayer time to come up and receive prayer or to pray for others or even just scattered around. We have a habit, we do it here, but if you ever observe, it's all over the place. And a third is maybe later today in a quiet moment where you have a talk with God. Enter into God's joy because there is your strength. That's what the shepherds discovered, kind of what I discovered too. Oh, Lord, I thank you this morning for your word and for the joy that you invite us into, but also that you invite us to bring our sorrows to you as well and be honest with those things. And Lord, I pray that, just, that we would approach this time of worship in an honest fashion, that we would both enter our joys and recognize our sorrows, that we would deal and we would just 
enjoy the one and, and bring the other one to you and ask for your healing. And Lord, I thank you for your word that just guides us into these things. And Lord, I just pray as we worship that you will be here. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit and touch everyone in a special way. And Lord, I pray for the offering that happens throughout the week and and at different times. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to magnify and grow it and, and lift it up, Lord. And we ask you to bless it. And we ask to bless those who decide where things and how things go. And Lord, just so that we have seed to plant, so that we have a harvest, so that we can plant more seed. And Lord, we thank you for all of those things. And Lord, we lift up this time and we just say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So now as we do pre-COVID, this would be where the offering's at. But instead, there's online opportunities to give. There's also a basket in the back uh, for that as well. So with that, your turn.